Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout podcast, mapping the publishing frontier with stories of publishing past, conversations with publishing professionals of today, and peeks into publishing's future. I'm Emily Einelander, and today's guest is Nicole Wolverton. Nicole M. Wolverton is a Philadelphia-based writer of fiction and nonfiction. She predominantly writes horror for adults and young adults. Her short fiction has been published in a variety of literary magazines and anthologies, including the upcoming The Half That You See anthology from Dark Ink Books. She is also the author of psychological thriller The Trajectory of Dreams, Biting Duck Press 2013. A full list of her publications can be found on NicoleWolverton.com. Nicole was recently chosen as editor of Bodies Full of Burning, a menopause-themed anthology of short horror fiction to be published in September 2021 by Sliced Up Press. She is a member of SCBWI and the Horror Writers Association, and she is represented by Ann Tibbetts at the Donald Moss Literary Agency. Aside from Nicole's preoccupation with faceless things waiting in the dark and other terrors, she is a gin enthusiast and obsessed with travel. She has visited approximately 21 countries and is eagerly looking forward to the pandemic easing so she can get back on a plane. She is an assistant coach of a dragon boat team for people who have had cancer and their caregivers and is running for judge of elections in her borough this year. She earned her BA in English from Temple University when she was 40 and is currently pursuing a master's of liberal arts with a creative writing concentration from the University of Pennsylvania. She has been married for 20 years, and she and her husband have two cats. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what, are your, what are your cats' names? That's important on this show. <laughs> I understand. Um, I have two cats. Uh, the, the oldest one's name is Mayor McCheese. <laughs> Mayor McCheese? <laughs> Mayor McCheese. I love uh, it. <laughs> he's a big, fluffy cat. Big, fluffy, orange cat. Oh uh, so appropriate for that. Mm -hmm. uh, the youngest cat's name is Smithers. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, Smithers lives up to the name entirely, if you know the Simpsons. <laughs> very servile. <laughs> sort of, in a, in a very asshole-ish way. <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> so, Nicole, uh, how did you become a horror fan, and uh, how did you nurture that fandom into participation in creating art in the genre over the years? I read in another interview that it all started with watching a certain gateway horror film at a very young age. Uh, so my father was not a responsible parent. And uh, let's just leave it at that. But uh, when I was about five or six, he loaded my brother and I into his van and took us to the drive-in. And we saw The Exorcist. <laughs> what uh, possessed him? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> So I grew up in a really rural area mm -hmm. and the drive-in theater was in the middle of nowhere. Oh. So we're sitting in this van watching The Exorcist in the middle of the woods. And I was a little too young to really understand exactly what was going on, but it clearly traumatized me in the best of ways. <laughs> um, all these years later, The Exorcist remains one of my favorite films. And from there, <laughs> let's just say that I grew up with a warped sense of humor and a love of horror movies, um, mm -hmm. including writing when I was a kid, like maybe in, let's say, first grade. 
uh, I drew little stories and told them about my uh, my imaginary friend who had knives for fingers. Oh, I bet your parents loved that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm really excited though because uh, the project that's upcoming uh, for me next month. Uh, the half that you don't see has a short story in there that involves my imaginary friend. What was your imaginary friend's name? Mona. Mona. Oh yep. my god. Mona it's... with the knives for fingers. And and so it's it it is literally the imaginary friend named Mona is in the story. I love it. That's so nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> so so much honoring of Mona in your past. I adore that. She deserves it. <laughs> I had a um I had a monster. It wasn't my imaginary friend, but it was a monster that I would draw called the Fonsanto. <laughs> I don't know why it was called that. But then later I was like, sounds a lot like Monsanto. <laughs> my activist tendency. No, environmental horror, man. Oh my God. You were a trailblazer. I just got an amazing idea, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I read your book, The Trajectory of Dreams, a few years back and really enjoyed it. And uh, it features a sleep lab technician who breaks into astronauts' homes to monitor their sleep, which strikes me as a very interesting and very specific premise. And I would love to know where it came from. So you can, you can blame Mary Roach entirely for this. Oh, okay. Well, almost entirely. That explains everything. Yeah. Um, if you've ever read any of Mary Roach's books, you know, she writes science from a kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of perspective. I mean, serious, but still tongue in cheek. So I read Packing for Mars. And there's a lot of talk in the book about the psychological testing the astronauts go through in order to qualify to be astronauts. Um, and in the book, she also mentions the Lisa Nowak incident. Right. Um, you know, and sort of it got me thinking about sort of what sort of testing is involved in terms of psychological testing, but also this woman didn't sleep for what, like 24 hours when she was driving across country, right? Right. So I got to wondering about sleep patterns and my imagination took over from there. As it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's always nice when there's something that, uh, people haven't really seen before in horror I, I guess it, that's I don't think of like the the monitoring astronauts in their sleep trope oh that old chestnut <laughs> yeah you know we try to come up with some interesting things <laughs> um so are you aiming to write more novels or do you prefer the short story format I am always writing novels um okay. <laughs> I've been agented for I guess maybe a little over a decade at this point mm-hmm and I've been mostly writing in the YA horror sort of space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been out on submission a few times and it just hasn't worked out. It's the whole thing. I was talking about this earlier today on Twitter with the Bodies Full of Burning project I'm working on. Right. So you get these novels or these stories and you might get, I don't know, like three or four things that are similar and you can't accept every single thing that you get that you love right because maybe they're similar and you know I've run into that a few times when I was on submission an editor would love my my story and it just was maybe a little too similar to something they already had on their list and they couldn't take it which was heartbreaking 
because you know it's it's great that your work is resonating with someone but at the same time it's so very sad that yeah. you know it Why can't not be <laughs> yeah no i i agree I, being rejected sometimes feels like even if they give you a reason like that that maybe they're just lying to save your feelings <laughs> But then when you do the actual like editing and selecting process, you're like, no, it's true. Like, I really like all of these things and I wish I could pick them all. Completely. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting experience to see this from the editorial point of view, for sure. Yeah. And this is the first time that you're doing it from the editorial point of view. Yes. All uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Keep talking about it. <laughs> how did this how did this come about? Like, <laughs> serendipitously uh so i have a short story in sliced up presses anthology called slasher tort um, i have the book behind me um and if you've read slasher tort you know it's an anthology of cake themed horror oh my god it's the most awesome premise ever so i mean obviously when i saw this call for submissions i had to put a yeah. a story in for it oh but that has little to do with sort of how I got to this place um so I was on Twitter one morning and I was just sort of thinking about some things I'd like to see in terms of anthologies coming out and I tweeted you know what I'd really love to see a menopause themed horror anthology because you, you don't see a lot of that. I mean, older women, we sort of get shunted to the side. We get forgotten about. You see a lot of things about menopause, or not menopause, menstruation. Uh, you see a lot of things about puberty. Because it's all horrifying and awful and terrible. And, well, not always. But, you know, you can think of a lot of horror things to say about it. Poltergeists um, and werewolves yeah. and, yeah. I mean, you know. But you never really hear much or see much in the horror field about menopause. So well, I was probably uh, two or three hours later, and I get this, this tweet, like a private direct message from Ben, the owner of Sliced Up Press, and he's like, hey. Oh. You know. So we talked about it a little. <laughs> I asked that question because I saw that original tweet that you did. Yes. And then I saw that you were doing it. And I was like, so did she like know and was just kind of gauging whether people would be interested or like it came from that tweet? Yeah. Oh, Which my is God. The first time that's ever happened to me ever. Um, you know, I'm, I'm generally not that lucky. So, <laughs> you know, I thought, OK, Ben's going to run with it, right? Then he's like, hey, do you want to be editor? I'm like, really? I was so thrown back. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is the best thing ever. So here I am. That's so exciting. Yes. Uh, I just accepted my first short story for the anthology this morning. Oh. Which is like the most exciting thing ever. And you got to like message the author and let them know or? No, I'm going to leave that to Ben. I'm oh. a little sad about that because I'd love to fangirl a little bit, but you know <laughs> got to keep that professional distance or... yeah it's hard though um like putting together an anthology I have like this thought in my head about what I want it to be and what it should be and like I was saying with um being on submission so far I've gotten you know maybe a dozen two dozen um the submission period is a couple months long so we've got some time at this point 
But the early stories, for many of them, there was a similarity in terms of theme. And it's so difficult to actually pick sort of the one that fits the what is in your head about what this should look like. Yeah. And then have to say, I can't accept these other three. Uh, yeah, that is tough. And and you you say you have a, a picture in your head of how you want it to be. Like, what does that mean? Because I guess, does that, in, that mean you have like a vision of the structure or the types of themes you want covered or both? A little bit. Um, I want a super wide ranging sort of um, experience of authors, age of authors, where they are in life, um, where they are geographically. Um, I'd love to get some writers who have disabilities or who are on the LGBTQ scale. I really want like a super wide, you know, sort of anthology to come out and be like, this is really interesting because it's coming from all these different perspectives. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> and for people who might be interested in like writing uh, for it, what are the, uh, d- does it need to be someone who's been through menopause or? No, not at all. Um, okay. I don't care if it's like a 10 year old who, you know, if, <laughs> if she or he or they decide to write a story about menopause, that's hurry, great. Um, awesome. I don't care if it's uh, um, someone who has never even heard of menopause, but like her grandmother might be going through it. You know what I mean? Because you just never know what somebody's going to come up with. Um, a lot of people, when they think about menopause, if they think about menopause, you know, they think about the very typical thing, which are the hot flashes. Yes. And there are 10 million other things that sort of go along with menopause. Um, and it, I've always think about it in terms of like, when you think of things like Carrie, the movie Carrie, and about her getting her period and going through puberty and it being a horrifying situation. If you think Carrie's scary, think about a woman who has had like five or six decades to foment like this awful feeling of rage of dealing with sexism and the patriarchy and racism and like a million other things there's gonna be some pent-up thing that is happening and I really am thrilled to be able to sort of put that out into the universe I mean just look at Carrie's mother (laughs) right you can't (laughs) tell me that that was not perimenopause related in some way exactly and extremely triggering Like, it's like, oh no, it's starting again. <laughs> um, so much, so much. Oh my god, I love it. Um, I'm really excited that you had that experience because Twitter is is such a negative um place sometimes that you forget that good things can happen on it. For sure. Yeah, but we're all still there for some reason, having a having a time. Um. So have had you had a lot of experience on the editorial side of storytelling and publishing before this point? So not in the way that I'm working now. Um, probably about maybe 10 years ago, I decided that I was going to give freelance editing a try as like my full-time gig, which was a scary thing. Um, I was working in fundraising, nonprofit fundraising at the time. and. I just, I lucked into an opportunity to go freelance and I quit my job and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? 
Uh, and I did that for about three years. It turned out not to be for me. Um, as much as I enjoyed setting my own schedule, there's sort of, um, it's nice to know where your next paycheck is coming from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but during that three years, I did a lot of editorial work, um, not necessarily in publishing, like in the way that you think fiction publishing, but in a lot of different ways that was, it has ended up being very useful to me today. You got a lot of uh, different irons in the fire. Um, it looks like from your bio here. <laughs> I keep busy. I mean, that's good. It, less, less time for the uh, existential dread to creep in. Oh, yeah. Um, you off the street, out of trouble. Although I will say that um, for dragon boating, it's been tough because we didn't have a season last year. Right. Um, and particularly for this group of people, they're, you know, immune compromised. Right. So I, I often wonder if we will have a season this year, even if we can get everybody vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get out on the river. I miss it every day. Uh, we do a, is it every week or every other week? We get on Zoom and we talk. We talk about training to get back on the river. Um, we just sort of talk about what's going on in our lives. The women that are on the team are really hilarious and awesome. And it's always funny to talk to them. We I always also have a few guys, by the way. We oh, don't, okay. We don't talk about that too much, but we do have a few guys on the team. <laughs> are they invited to the Zoom call? <laughs> always. In fact, one of our members is an epidemiologist. Wow. So it's always handy to get his sort of perspective on what's going on with the virus and the vaccination. Yeah, I mean, I, I almost imagine that that would be sort of a, have a, ironically a calming effect. Am I, I right about that? Like You are right. Um, <laughs> but oddly, some things he says really give me plot bunnies for horror stories. So it all works out. It's full circle. Yeah, it seems like epidemiology has a lot of space for like contingencies. That like, is not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> On which all horror relies. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, lots of stuff mm -hmm. for sure. I always wanted to try dragon boating, but that's, you know, that's unrelated to the podcast. <laughs> Move to Philly. I'll take you out on the boat. If I come to Philly, I will, I will take you up on that. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk more about horror. I, I know. I'm sorry. But <laughs> um, so which women do you feel it's it's women in horror month? Uh, which women do you feel should get more credit for their contributions to uh, horror lit, both historical and contemporary? So I think most people, when they think of like women who started horror, right, you're thinking Mary Shelley. Mm. So most people don't really think of Anne Radcliffe. Um, she had the first Gothic bestseller, and that was, what, seven, late 1700s. Oh, okay. Uh, the Mysteries of Udolpho. Um, I, I did not know that. <laughs> you, most people don't. They think Mary Shelley. Uh, and, I mean, even throughout history, right, publishing in general has been thought of as a masculine sort of thing to do, even though, you know, some women have been lucky to get their voices out there. Um, and even today, uh, publishing is dominated by men in general in the horror genre. And 
the people who buy horror in general are men. Uh, that's a little different in YA horror, of course, because you know most most of the people who write YA in general are women, and that's true in horror as well. Um, but if we're talking lesser-known folks who need more credit, uh, I think let's say more traditional horror. I'd go with Vernon Lee. Um, Vernon Lee, pseudonym of Violet Paget, Paget, Paget. Violet Paget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Vernon Lee wrote great ghost stories in the 19th century. Um, she was widely read at the time, surprisingly, under Vernon Lee. Mm. Um, but I think there's been a resurgence of interest in her, let's say in the last decade. Um, really interesting, great stories. I'd love to see everybody know about Vernon Lee. Okay. Uh, more contemporary, I have a huge author crush on Kathy Koja. Okay. Um, if you've ever read The Cipher, I mean, it's one of her older novels. I think about it a lot, like more than I should. Um, and when I'm in a conversation with someone about horror, I always recommend that book and Kathy Koja. Um, I was talking to someone the other day for work, and somehow it came up that I write horror. And her daughter, who is like 17, 18 or so, well, maybe she's a little younger than that, 16, 17-ish, was like, I love horror. I want to write horror for a living. And so this woman and I got into this huge conversation about who she needs to be reading other than Stephen King. Right. And Kathy Koja came up. So I have now hopefully started my own little fan club. Oh, um, well, I just added it to my story graph. So. Awesome. <laughs> It is the kind, the cipher in particular is the kind of book that you will always be thinking about. It's haunting. Um, and I, I know that Kathy has a short story collection that is on the Stoker uh, final ballot for this year of Velocities. And that is on my to-be-read list. I can't wait to get to it. Awesome. Um, I would say also Dia Reeves is awesome. Uh I have Slice of Cherry on my bookshelf, which I've read at least once, probably more than that at this point. Uh, I'm trying to get to more of her work. And Jemia Johnson, I think, is awesome. Okay. That's a lot of good recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, as, I, as soon as we're done here, I'm just going to go back over the recording <laughs> and put everything into my story graph. <laughs> I realized that I a lot of the things that I was thinking about the books that I'd read that were horror and I realized a lot of them were actually thrillers um, by women. And I was like, Oh, oh I, right? I know. Yeah. I Horror is a huge wide tent. Mm -hmm. And even the stuff that you think of as a thriller is probably horror in some way. I've always agreed with that mostly, but like I, I realized it was mostly stuff that is technically like, considered a thriller shelved as a thriller <laughs> I guess and I There's think of it as horror sense. it gives me the same feels as horror but uh, I, I'm just saying that I need to uh, expand my horizons not discontinue reading thrillers because <laughs> I love them but uh, uh, add a little bit more of the uh, of the woman written horror in catalog. Candisha Press is a woman-owned uh, publishing house that specializes in horror and they do these awesome anthologies of women horror writers, which I always recommend. I, I think there's something about womanhood um, and not just womanhood, but like 
being a part of a marginalized identity that makes horror extra special. Like I almost feel like it belongs to people with marginalized identities more than anybody else. But um could be more horrifying, right? Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> and I mean, and that's why so often those are like the avatars for when the men were in charge of making all of these movies. It's like, what if you were a woman? Well, I mean, I'm sure you've read Carol Clover, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's why Women in Horror Month is important. Um, yes. Well, um, so I'm gonna I'm going to go beyond books as well. Um, what was the last piece of horror media you consumed that you absolutely loved? Could be a movie, book. A so, as I'm taking a storytelling class this semester, and it is both fiction and creative nonfiction. And on my reading list for the semester was Octavia Butler's Kindred, which I had never read before. Um, I don't read a ton of science fiction, which I think of her more as a science fiction writer. So Kindred just like kind of blew me away, but also in the context of sort of the slave written testimonials that we've read as part of class. Mm Um, and sort of looking at those juxtaposed against Kindred, which has been super interesting. Okay. So, like, in terms of consuming horror media, that was done in a way that was really interesting, and I think everybody should kind of have to do it that way. <laughs> in the same context, I recently rewatched um, Lovecraft Country. I'm in the middle of that. <laughs> That's so good. But apparently there is a podcast that goes along with it, which I've never really listened to. And I'm kind of thinking that I need to rewatch Lovecraft Country while also simultaneously listening to this podcast, because apparently it has that same kind of effect. Um, Effect. I've I've listened to the first two episodes and it's mostly like historical commentary type stuff. The podcast is good. It's very like contextualizes everything really well. Um, that's a great show. It's hard to watch, but you know, we should we should have to watch it because it's hard to watch. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So good. And satisfying. Oh, like, oh my you know, god. It's so hard to explain to people. Um, all you have to do is like yell bash it with the bat, like <laughs> just <laughs> and break that windshield. <laughs> I also just saw um, on Shudder the film Host. Yeah. That was really an an interesting way to sort of bring the pandemic into your house. It's also short. It's only like 60 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like watching that one kind of made me nervous. (laughs) I have such a... I get so nervous about electronic uh, horror stuff, you know, it's yeah. like because we re- rely on our screens to look a certain way. And when they kind of like blip, you're like, wait, I'm not in control of this. <laughs> it was really interesting and well done. And I just yeah, I loved it. Yeah. One of the best things I did during the pandemic was pay for a shutter subscription. Seriously. Yeah. Like, I can't say enough good things about that now. <laughs> Awesome. I'm glad we agree. Uh, 
So can you tell people how to submit their work for Bodies Full of Burning? Yes. And I think we were supposed to talk about that before. And I got sidetracked by like two different things. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, it's I, I it's my fault just because I get too excited about horror things. I think I like to kind of pull this <laughs> off in a different direction. <laughs> All right. So the SlicedUpPress.com website has the full submission guidelines. And you email them to Ben at SlicedUpPress. Um, actually, that's not the correct email, but it's on the Sliced Up Press website. And I want to say, I can't, I'm not looking at it right now, but I think that we set the minimum guideline at a thousand words. Maximum, I think was like maybe four or 5,000. Mm -hmm. And you have until, I believe, the end of May okay. to get your submissions in. It's a long submission period mostly because we didn't expect people just to have menopause themed horror things sitting around. No. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to give people plenty of chances to, you know, write something great and also make sure that the call for submissions was distributed as widely as possible. Right. Great. I'll, I'll make sure to post the, uh, the links Thank on, you. Really on our show notes. That. For sure. We got a lot of authors who, um, and hopefully some of them are writing scary stories. They're um, I actually <laughs> know of a couple people who have never written short stories before who decided to do so for this call. I'm oh, really fantastic. excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. I think that short story horror is like one of the best ways to take it in. <laughs> Definitely. Even if you think you don't know what you're doing, you just don't know what you're going to be able to produce. Mm -hmm. Let your imagination take you away. <laughs> um, and where can our listeners find you? Oh, so uh, I have a website, www.nicolewolverton.com. You can always find me there. And I'm probably on Twitter more often than I should be. Uh, and you can find me there at Nicole Wolverton. Excellent. Um, you can find us, hybridpubscout.com, Facebook at hybridpubscout, Twitter at hybridpubscout and Instagram at hybrid pub scout pod. And um, you can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for giving a rip about books. <laughs> <laughs>